0: Hey, it's Gonzano I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
1: Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Konzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Baldface Truth with John Konzano on 750 The Game.
0: Portland State coming off a 42 to seven loss to Weber State over the weekend. Play at Idaho this week. Are you superstitious? I'm superstitious. Uh, Bruce Barnum, are you superstitious? Bruce Barnum, do you do you believe in that stuff?
1: Um. I don't know if I believe in it but I do it yeah you know I know, I know what you mean. I, I don't know if it's you know there, there's some quirks I might do at certain times uh, to get ready for something but I don't believe in it but I do it
0: you know it's interesting because you know I played baseball in college I and people you know say don't step on the foul line I, I I went okay and I went well I might as well step over it because there's no there's no good that comes from stepping on it like what if it is bad luck? Uh, what are your quirks? Give me one of your quirks that you kind of repeat.
1: Hmm. Now I'm gonna let you know. There's probably too many of them. Um, <laughs> like, you know, uh Driving. Okay. okay. Driving. I think it's bad luck because a lot of people are driving right now. Now they're gonna start doing this. Possibly. No, they're not as odd as myself. When I'm driving, John, I, I, before I can breathe take a breath i don't do this all the time but i have to blink my eyes at four semi trucks four <laughs> times each so one goes by one two three four another one yeah. goes by one two three four one then i can breathe normal
0: what, when did
1: that start no i don't go any deeper than that John. It, 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 it's a you know a once
0: lock. you once you do that you have to keep doing it
1: well yeah but you don't do it the whole drive you know <laughs> It's it's just certain times in the drive that you have to do it. Cause I drive, you know, back and forth to work, I five in the morning. You know, depending on what time we come in, uh, four fifteen to five thirty. There's there's enough moving that you get enough trucks going by, but where you get jammed up is if you're sitting, you know, in traffic. And it's that time to do that. uh, That's holding your breath like the Navy SEALs.
0: Oh, all right. I like that. Um, Look, hey, you brought your dad in studio once, and your dad has uh, an incredible connection to history. Tell our listeners your dad's connection as a pallbearer and, you know, uh, what happened and all that stuff. Are you sure? Yeah. We got time for this. Let's do it.
1: All right. Um... Uh, Coast Guard, uh, 27 years. He he had he didn't he couldn't get into OTC officer training cadet schooler. He colorblind, um, so they wouldn't let him in. Anyway, he ended up at CWO four chief warrant officer four. But in his early days, uh, he was we were stationed in D.C. twice. This was pre Bruce. Um, but long story short, if, if you say we only have. You know, a minute. Um, he was a pallbearer for JFK. Yeah. He was a pallbearer for MacArthur and yep. LBJ. Now, how he fell into it was a typical, you know, four blinks at four in my truck type of operation. Um, they're stationed in D.C. Uh, when uh, President Kennedy was shot. There's people actually training from each service at Arlington underneath the tomb of the unknown soldier there uh, it's probably four football fields underneath there of where they do all sorts of items I don't know if I'm supposed to talk yeah, about that this could National be classified theory. but go on yeah that could be <laughs> but that's where they train one of the things they do in there is is train the pallbearers for if something happens anyway we lived um, in DC at the time or that my parents did with my brother and there, he wasn't on the initial squad or the initial, you know, group for President Kennedy. But they made a mistake in D.C. They have a system where you let out certain people hmm. um, at a time uh, because of the beltway and traffic. Okay, these workers leave. You know, if you work in this area, you go home right now, please. They made a mistake and they, everybody left at the same time, traffic jam. The And now you've got Air Force One coming in soon with the president and family uh, from Dallas. All of them couldn't make it. There was one missing. They called my dad who was an alternate um, from the Coast Guard and we lived close enough that he could get over there. Uh, barring the traffic. Anyway, so uh, that's how he ended up being on it. But there's some interesting stories. He's been interviewed a lot. Um, you know, conspiracy theories, etc. The only odd thing, the thing I still talk to him about at times, they were waiting for Air Force One, okay? At Andrews Air Force Base. When the plane landed, they went out to get the the body, out of the plane
0: JFK's body
1: JFK's body yeah they went out they're waiting to open the cargo hold underneath and by gunpoint that group of pallbearers were taken into a closet essentially right off the tarmac and locked in there my dad said for approximately 46 minutes screaming hollering they heard everything outside um, they were finally released. Their commandant commander told them, "You're with that body until he's buried. Do not ever leave it." So that's what they did. I mean, they were they they were. He was there for the autopsy. Uh, he was there for everything. You know
0: what happened in the so for 46 minutes they were sequestered in a room away from the body, or they were uh, still with by
1: it? gunpoint. Yes, they were taken from the plane. Guns on their backs, shoved into a, a closet. Essentially, my dad said, in a small room right off the tarmac, um, of right where Air Force One landed.
0: Did he ever say who was who was holding the guns? Was it another branch of the military? They didn't
1: know. They didn't know. That's part oh. of the, the that's part of the deal. He didn't know if, who it was. And I It's I'm the not CIA. Make a, it's well, the that's CIA. the first thing they, he said. When I, I remember when I, I did a report on him when I was, oh, I told you this before in high school or something, or elementary school, and I mean, my teacher, I got sent to the office again, you know, she thought I was lying, <laughs> that my dad was a pallbearer, and I'm saying all these things, and she's like this little punk, you know, uh, yeah and there I was, Mr. Wilson's office, sitting there waiting for the parents again, you know, <laughs> thinking my right arm's going to get worn out writing the sentences. Right, 100 what? times that your dad was not a Paul Barry and you were a liar.
0: <laughs> so give us an idea. Like, did Dad ever say, you know, we've had him on the show when he was with you that, that one summer. He was came in the studio. Uh, but did Dad ever say what he thought happened in those 46 minutes? Were, there, were they arguing over who was going to be in control of the body out there, or what were they doing?
1: I don't know. We've kicked it around some, you know, just... Um, there's all, there's all kinds of theories, you know, John did, were, were they trying to hide how many times he was shot, where he was shot, were they switching the body? Was it, you know, I don't know. Um, and I'm not, cause this
0: is pre autopsy,
1: right? Like the autopsy well, had yes, not
0: been performed yet.
1: Had not been performed yet. Oh boy. So but like, but why the, would
0: they, like, why would they do that? Like, you know, you start right. to wonder those things.
1: That's the one thing he said he couldn't. You know, he tells stories, and they take, then he takes you through the entire thing on. Um, oh, how they were practicing the, you know, the day before. You know the, um, the entire uh, procession. How uh, they were walking up the stairs with the uh, casket with no, with rocks in it, the equal weight of the president. Hmm. And they almost dropped it, so they had to add two more, you know, paul bears, uh, just to get the thing up the stairs, just because it was so heavy. But you know, there's some, there's some stories, you know, even about the autopsy, um, you know, seeing, um, who was it? Who who was it? the, um, the son that saluted, um, in the okay. famous picture,
0: Kennedy's son. It's uh, was that um... Robert. I, I think it was John. It was John. It was John, yeah.
1: He remembers John. Um, in the in the room, he asked my dad, because my dad was closest uh, to Jackie O. In the family, during the autopsy, and he looked up, and he asked his mom why my dad was crying. You know, because he was young, and he probably... Yeah. Catching up, I and mean, there's some stories that make it, you know. And I wasn't there, obviously, being that person, you know. Everybody, they talked about how everybody watched that on television, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my dad still, uh, to this day, this this caught me by surprise. Um, they're back. They built a, a place, a retirement place, where they grew up, and he probably gets. I would say five, seriously, about five a week, two to five a week, people wanting his autograph on some piece of memorabilia of JFK, uh, you know, from that time, just because they see, you know, he's one of the still surviving pallbearers. And he still signs it and, you know, writes them a note. Sends it back. But there's some pretty cool pictures. Uh, the government, every picture that was taken that day, John, uh, by the government, um, the pallbearers got a copy of because they were part of it. Mm. He's got, uh, you know, the old you know, notebooks with the big ring binders in them. Yeah. I think he's got about six or seven of those jammed. They're almost, you know, six inches, you know, thick. Of side by side uh, black and white photos of that day. There's some pretty cool shots in there.
0: Let me ask you. We're talking to Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach. Uh, you're sitting around with Dad over the years. You know, I I remember when uh, the JFK movie came out, and I went, I bought the book on the trail of the assassins, the Garrison book. He was the prosecutor who brought charges. Did 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 Dad? Does Dad believe that Oswald was the killer? Does Dad have a thought on that?
1: He, no, ne- never. He doesn't. Uh, the conversation w- was brought up by Kevin or myself. It was never brought up by dad. He didn't. Uh, if if you just hung out with my dad, and you were his friend for a lifetime. You wouldn't know he was a pallbearer. Um, You would have to hear it somewhere else and ask him, yeah. you know, about it. He he won't talk. He doesn't talk about it. And less asked, he's been that way since you know I've known him. It pushed me to one of my majors. Undergrad was history. Just you know, yeah.
0: fascinating.
1: It was, it was a unique situation.
0: When you're in college, did did you get the same disbelief when you said, "Oh, my dad was a pallbearer at JFK's funeral. My dad oh, was no, there." I, you know? I never
1: talked about it, John. It was, you know.
0: You needed me in that class. I would have been like, "Ask Bruce. His dad was there." <laughs> it's crazy. Nah. It's wild. Uh I love it. Thanks for sharing that. Of um, course. I got to get your dad on the show. We got to talk about this stuff again. Um let's talk football a little bit. Weber State got you guys. Uh yeah, you got they I- did. you got Idaho this week. Feels like you're going to find out where you are in the conference pretty quickly cuz Idaho, Montana, you you've seen Weber State, Montana, you got you got Northern Arizona. But uh how are you feeling this week as you go to Idaho? Um
1: they just Beat Montana. They haven't done that since 1999 at home, and I know that's a pretty cool feeling. We've done it. We did a couple few years ago, and um, I'm, you know, combine that with they're playing with a lot of confidence and emotion right now. That that adds to the game. Uh, we need to match that. You know, um, I've been. Uh, we're getting some guys back right now, so uh, I like. Still, our practice today was focused. My guys know the what they've faced. You know what I mean? They know yeah. they faced two top-10 teams in the country. Um, or no, Idaho's 17. They're not top-10. Or the, they have. I'm sorry. Weber and Montana were top five. Now they another one. But you know, uh, it's uh, welcome to life. Short memory. Click onto this one. Um, we're putting a game plan together. We're adjusting some things. And still, I feel, as a, a coach with my quarterback, you know, uh, trying to get him what is his best game, you know, uh, and learning what he can do and he can't do, uh, learning who he is a little more because he's a guy running it. Um, and I like what, I like the package we have now. I think I gave him too much last week, you know. He had a great game against Northern Arizona, then Lincoln, and I think I gave him too much. I gave a three-year guy stuff. Uh, when you was, say
0: that, when you, what do you mean? Is it just too many plays, too much complication, too much on him to make calls at the line of scrimmage? What's too much?
1: Uh, movement, um, motions, shifts, etc. Um, and then what it's gonna, how that is gonna put us in the best spot um, to free our wide receivers up. Um, we're, we're, we've been banged up at back, so we're, we've been asked to throw the football a little bit more. Um, my, just my backfield's taking a hit. That'll be fixed this week. I'm getting some guys back. But um, maybe ask him to do a little too much just as far as that. Now when we go here, you know, two, two by two or empty to this shift and then this movement is going to free up this side to cover one, but to cover three max, you're going to do this. I, I think I overloaded him. You know? So. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because I, you know, I hear that when you see coaches who, you know, when you watch a game and you see a bunch of motion, a bunch of shifts, I mean, it's extra stuff that the quarterback has to think about because you obviously don't want the ball snapped. You gotta, that guy's got to know where everybody right. needs to be, right, when right. the ball is snapped. So you're just giving them some extra things to think about.
1: And then he has to execute, you know, whatever read he has, if, if you're throwing the football, and also in the run game. You know, I knew I overloaded him a little bit when we had, we run read zone, right? There, there, a lot of teams do it now. Um, Urban made a living off it, you know, starting, uh, got famous for it at Utah and then moved on to bigger jobs and that's the simplest read in America. And when he was when he was not 100% on that one, I knew, you know, I gave this kid too much. You know, then you're in a game, you know, and you're getting swamped. You're like, come on. Now what do you do? You know, do you dummy him down in the middle of a play or not dummy down? Do you make it simpler in the middle of a game? Do you, you know, so we cut it back. I tried to adjust him at halftime. And then we were just, we were sloppy after that, you know.
0: And I know... I know everybody wants to have this great playbook and be super creative and whatnot, but I, you know, over the years I've talked to coaches who say, you know, that ideally, you guys master plays, and you're kind of at the point of the season where you know you should start to have some things down. Um, how big do you want that
1: playbook to be? Um, it depends on your people, but uh, I've always been the simple guy. I'm not, we're going to run this play. Um, say thirty four, thirty five. It's read zone. We're going to do it, but we're going to do it out of. You're going to have so many looks at that, and so many different edges. And your defensive end, uh, that's who you're kind of playing games with when you run that play, because the play essentially it's an option play, but it allows you to not block everybody in the box. You can take one away, and that's the guy that you read. There, you know, all that read zone. Um, but you can do all kinds of stuff with that, from loop motion to rolling the secondary to doing it out the back gate. You know, as you've done everything off the, out the front gate, you can switch up motions, you can slip, slip, you can motion both. We did that once. We, you know, slip both guys, and you can make that one play look like, you know, 30 different things. That That's what we've always done here. Um, so um, it, it's... I think the simpler the better. Here, here's kind of what we do. Stop it. Let me
0: ask you something because uh, this doesn't have to do with you guys, but I was watching USC Oregon State uh, the game again. I went back to kind of look at what USC was doing, and I noticed that you know USC played Utah this last weekend, and USC used a whole bunch of motion in the Oregon oh, well, State. I, well,
1: I saw part of that game. Yeah, USC Utah DVR. Yeah.
0: All right, so. The Oregon State game, though, they did not. And part of it was maybe the crowd noise inside Reese's Stadium. I don't know. But it was super loud that night. I noticed that USC used almost no motion against Oregon State, and they struggled. They struggled to get guys open, and the secondary for Oregon State covered well. Is crowd noise a factor when you're using motion? You're
1: on the road. Yes, it is. Because you have to time up those motions, especially if you're crossing the football. If they're crossing the football with it and they can't hear it, a lot of guys now are going on clap, or if it's really loud, you know they're going on the knee or the hand down, um, and crossing the ball motion. If it's loud, it deletes that um, because you're afraid. Obviously, the center is going to be a little delayed as you know he sees it, looks up. Motion screaming in, I mean, it's probably every coach's fear that that ball is going to hit the motion guy and, you know, be a turnover. Interesting. So, yeah, right. I mean, it affects cross the ball most. I don't think it affects motion out outside.
0: All right, you got Idaho on Saturday. Then uh, you go to Eastern Washington. You're back home against Northern Colorado. Next, uh, those are your next three. Uh, we wish you the best in those. We'll talk to you again next week.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having uh, Portland State on, John.
0: Thanks for talking about all the conspiracy and superstition as well. It's fascinating. Thanks, Bruce Barnum. Of course. What? All right, there he is, Steven, I was on the edge of my seat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like we got some information that maybe wasn't supposed to be out there,
0: right? Like, <laughs> I was ha- I was expecting like the FBI to call the studio or something. I actually got a call from the CIA while he was talking. No, I <laughs> it, it, you know, it, I expected the, the the radio would go dead. You know, all of a sudden I'd be like, hello, um, no. His dad came with him one time in studio. We had him on and he was in studio and I looked over and I started talking to his dad and his dad said, oh, he was in the Coast Guard and all this and that. And then I uh, was Googling his dad on the commercial break and I suddenly turned to Bruce Barnum and I said, put your dad in front of the microphone. And we talked about some of the JFK stuff, but I feel like I now have to have him back on because now I know some more questions to ask. I want to know 46 minutes that they were sequestered. what, What was going on? What did they hear? what was it an argument i suspect it was an argument between the cia and the coast guard and who you know maybe the secret service over who should have had control of the president's body probably you know they put him in there and they said you know the cia wanted the body or the secret service wanted the body and but it ended up with the coast guard having control of the body and being in on the autopsy and everything but Fascinating stuff. We have to get Bruce Barnum's dad on the show now. Yeah, and how cool is it to have all those pictures that the government took just in one, you know, Ugh. big giant binder? Like the history in that binder is insane. I I think it's like that movie JFK with Kevin Costner in it. Fascinating. The book, you know, on the trail of the assassins, the Jim Garrison book. He was the prosecutor in New Orleans who brought the conspiracy charges against uh, several people. Uh, all of that. Uh, I think it remains like one of the great mysteries and some of the great theater in American history. Uh, leave it here. That's why you come to the show. You got the bald face truth.
1: Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: So I just got a, uh, during the commercial break, doorbell. Ding-dong. I'm in the uh, studio, uh, home studio, uh, broadcasting this radio show uh, Monday through Friday, and uh, doorbell rang, ding-dong, and I thought, well, there's a commercial break. Like, I can grab that real quick. And, uh, and I was also expecting a FedEx delivery because the uh, University of Oregon and Oregon State will both send credentials and parking passes via uh, either FedEx or Postal Service or UPS or whatnot. So, but I knew FedEx was coming and uh, in part because uh, if you are subscribed to me at johnconzano.com, you are receiving not just my columns uh, every day and what I'm writing and you don't, you know, it gets delivered direct to your email inbox uh, every morning when I write. Like Chip Kelly, I wrote this morning about Chip Kelly in Oregon. You got it in real time. You get it before anybody else gets it and it's there waiting for you at your leisure. But um, you not only get that, but you're getting these photo galleries over the over the weekends. I don't know, Stephen. Have you seen any of the photo galleries that have gone out on games? Are you a photo guy? Yeah, I love to I love to look at photos because I think it just it presents a different, uh, just different vibe of what you get. Especially like if you're watching something on TV, you can see one thing, but you can see another thing in a picture. You can see another thing when you're live there at the stadium. So like, yeah, I, I love a good picture. Okay, so I did something really cool this season, and I've never done this before, and I've only done this because since I went rogue and I went on my own and I'm doing my own thing, I just thought, you know, part of it is I'm, I'm painting a picture with my words at games and I'm writing columns, but I wanted to have photos that you couldn't get anywhere else with my columns that you can't get anywhere else. This is the only place you can read me, johnconzano.com. So, I hired uh, Serena Morones, who's a fantastic photographer. She's a fantastic sports shooter. She's just really good, has a good eye, sees the game, has a uh, a knack for human interest angles, and I write uh, in that way as well. And so I, I knew that I had to have her shooting when I am at games. And so I hired her before the season, and I said – I want you on any game that you can make, and here's the whole schedule, and here's where I'm going to be, and let me see where you are. And, you know, that's why she was at Oregon, Georgia, in Atlanta, shooting for johnconzano.com. And her photo gallery off that game was fantastic because it's not just the photos of the game. It's like Marcus Mariota on the sidelines and Phil Knight on the sidelines, and it's Dan Lanning interacting with his players and. Dan Lanning shaking hands uh, at midfield with uh, Kirby Smart. And so she, she gets the stuff that's outside the game. So she shot that game, and then she shot the Eastern Washington game. She shot several games. She shot the USC-Oregon State game earlier this season. Uh, but, I, but it gave me an idea because the reaction from readers was robust. People were going, I love this. Like, I love the fact that you're telling a story off a game with your column, and then there's this whole photo essay element as well that goes with it. And, and, uh, and, I, and I respect the photographers. And I think photographers sometimes don't feel respected when they're working for other media outlets because the pictures are seen or viewed or treated as a secondary element. And so I said, no, 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 we're going to have these photo essays where I'm going to, we're going to publish like 30 of your photos off the game and people can just look at the photos if they want to, or they can read my column and then look at the photos. So then I started doing something fun. I said, you know what, why not just go around the Pac-12? Why not find photographers in other cities who want to shoot games? And so, uh, you know, Taylor Balcom who shot the BYU Oregon game for johnconzano.com is also shooting the UCLA Oregon game. um, Tim Healy, who is a great sports shooter, he shot, uh, last weekend, he shot Washington State, Oregon State at Research Stadium for johnconzano.com. Rob Gray, meanwhile, same day, was in Salt Lake City, shooting USC in Utah. Michael Christie, a week before that, was in Tucson, shooting Oregon at Arizona. Uh, Ian Crimmins, uh, who's located in Pullman, uh, shot Oregon at Washington State for johnconzano.com. So, I I looked at this, and I published this yesterday. And if you read my piece yesterday on the officiating, I wrote about Pac-12 officiating. Uh, It's a column that is titled, Pac-12 Officials Need to Say Less. But if you scroll down that column, towards the end of the column, you get uh, links to every single photo gallery this season. And I had not figured out that I already have shot 11 Pac-12 games. So you can get the galleries, and you can see all these great photos. And a lot of the photos are of fans, the bands, cheerleaders, the players, the action, the coaches. It's everything at games. And it's a really cool installment. So ding-dong, doorbell rings. I I know I have a FedEx coming. It's Oregon. It's bringing the photo credentials, and it's bringing the parking passes for Oregon's game against UCLA. And I have them in my hands right now. Uh, I've got these – I've got the passes. Uh, I also have somebody shooting Oregon State's game, and, you know, they'll get their credential. But I always like to tell the delivery driver thanks if I see the delivery driver. And we have this kind of these stairs that lead to the house, and, you know, he had left the FedEx envelope on the doorstep, and he was down uh, near the sidewalk, and he was getting back into his truck, and I yelled, hey, thanks. And the guy whipped around, and he said, I love the story on your piece yesterday about you losing your shirt. This is what I'm talking about. My people who are out listening to this show, if you're listening right now, you're my people. I know that you work jobs or you have kids or you uh, take care of somebody in your life. I know you do. I know that uh, you're educated. I know that you're smart. I know that you're uh, probably a sports fan because you're listening to a sports radio show. But one of the things I love is that, like, I feel like there's some real synergy between what we're doing on the radio and what I'm doing at JohnConsalvo.com. And I told that story yesterday about I did it in print in that same piece where, you know, I'm in Salt Lake City, I'm covering this game. I had a blast covering the Utah USC game. It was a fantastic football game. Wrote my column on deadline. I'm leaving the stadium. Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated's walking with me. Uh, and I got the sense from Pat that he, he had a long walk to a dark parking lot. I got the sense that Pat didn't want to walk alone. He never said that, but I just it's a feeling because he kind of lingered. And he said, are you walking out? And I said, yeah. And then we walked out together. We went down the elevator. We went outside Rice Eccles Stadium. And, and then we got to like the sidewalk, and Pat said, where did you park? And I said, I'm getting an Uber. I'm like a block away. And he said, oh, I'm in this parking lot. i got to walk to this parking lot. And I said, hey, safe travels. Catch you later. Well, I went. the wind was howling. I mentioned this yesterday on the show. The wind was just howling. It was like 35-mile-an-hour winds, and it was cold, and I had a sweatshirt in my bag, but I had on this button-up collared shirt. It wasn't like I could just put the sweatshirt over it, but I had a T-shirt in my bag. So I decided to change outside in the howling wind, and I stopped at kind of this bus kiosk that had semi-shelter, but not all the way. And I told the story yesterday, Mama tell it again, but I unbuttoned the shirt and I took it off and I was just about to change into the t-shirt when a gust of wind ripped that shirt out of my hand and it sent it flying down the street. And if it weren't a shirt that I had just bought, I probably don't go running after it. If it's like a cheap shirt, I'd probably just go, easy come, easy go, and I just put on my t-shirt and forget about it. But I was like, damn it, I just bought this button-up shirt. I'm not getting I so I went running after it. And I ran down the street, and it was one of those things where you're trying to grab it, and it's tumbling along, and you, I slammed my foot on it. It's got a giant footprint in the middle of it now, and I stopped it, and I walked back. And, but I noted to myself as I was doing it that I had a smile on my face. I had a smile on my face because it was so absurd. It was just ridiculous. Shirt blowing down the street. I'm outside the stadium. There's no one around. It's dark. It's cold. And the fact that the FedEx driver said, I loved the story about your shirt – it means the world to me. It, it means the world to me that you read. It means the world to me that you listen. It means a lot to me because I'm having a blast on this show. I'm having a blast writing at johnconzano.com. But, like, there's some synergy that did not exist in my life before that is there now. And I'm just having the best time with all this stuff. So if you want a subscription, go to johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. I don't care. Whatever works for you works for me. Leave it here. <laughs>